been easier to get on the water with academy sports and outdoors stop by your local academy store or online at academy.com today and shop great gear from fishing's top brands like Luz, zebco abu garcia shimano and more hello everyone and welcome once again to the fisherman's post saltwater podcast series this episode is titled spring yellowfins off hatteras and i'm gonna be talking to good friend captain jeremy hicks of calypso sport fishing out of Hatteras, and we're going to be talking, it's going to be a pretty straightforward conversation. You, you want to know the when, you want to know the where, and you want to know the tactics, and Jeremy's going to share that information with us, and he's going to present this information so that you don't just target with a sport fisher, but if you're inclined to bring that outboard Hatteras way, you're going to be able to follow this information and have a good shot at the spring yellowfins off Hatteras. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina for or since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now the latest and greatest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this saltwater podcast series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights on how to catch more fish more often with the hope that the information gets you excited, it gets you confidence so that you will grab your family and friends and spend more time on the water more often. I'm joined in this endeavor in this latest podcast episode with my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Copilot Studios. Copilot Studios is a podcast studio with podcast services for hire. I got all that out in a breath. Billy, here we are again. Another episode. Gary, good to see you, man. Another episode in the books. It's good. Yeah, man. We have Jeremy back. He's been on the podcast before. And, uh, you know, he, he's a regular at the Saltwater, yeah. I mean, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Fishing Schools. Man, so not only is he dialed in, but he likes to communicate. He's a great ambassador. Um, it's going to be a fun yeah. conversation. It's good, man. And speaking of fishing schools, uh, we had one person uh, leave us a review on our uh, on the Apple version of our podcast, okay. where, where it's at. That says, uh, Fish Post has been a great go-to for years for info, tournaments, schools, etc. Great new podcast and look forward to more. Thank you. No, thank you, Stick213. Thank you. Yeah, man. So, yeah, man. It's good to be uh, part of the community and and being uh, collaborating and getting people information. Help them fish. Catch and, more fish more often. And so face good. value, we are reading those comments out loud because we want more comments. Because we- <laughs> Yeah, no no way we're doing that for any other reason. We just want more. Well, I mean, it's not the only reason, but we like the feedback. My point being, we like comments. We like feedback. Love it, yeah. And honest feedback, too. If something's terrible, tell us it's terrible. We'll fix it. Yeah, man. Or, we, or we'll just say, you don't know what good and terrible is. We'll keep moving. Anyway, speaking of keep moving, I better keep moving to the people who make this, spot, this podcast possible, which is our sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center. Get a quick word from them. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Robbie with Marine Warehouse Center in Wilmington and Charleston. We are headquarters for Pair Custom Boats. These center consoles are handmade in Washington, North Carolina, and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water. Right now, we have several models in stock. The deal times on the custom orders are around five months. These boats are custom built to fit your needs, from the seating, the tops, the leaning posts, and the live wells. You design the entire layout of your boat. Come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country.
There you go, Gary. Go get you a custom boat. I'm I'm in, man. I, it's attractive. <laughs> who, who out there is going to get Gary a custom boat? You know what? I'd be ticked off if somebody's like, I'll get him a boat. Because <laughs> I've been what, asking one for 50 episodes. That's what we need. <laughs> that would be the irony. That would be perfect. Billy's been hammering this boat. Oh, and then I just say, hilarious. yeah, I kind of like one too. <laughs> Somebody step up. Oh, Gary Hurley wants a boat? Here, Gary. You can have mine. Man, that would be awesome. <laughs> and then you got to give me your old one. What would be your old one? Deal. Fair. All right, somebody buy Gary a Deal. new campaign. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Terrell at Marine Warehouse <sighs> Center. He's still been at it, huh? The guy won't leave me alone. Apparently, he thinks I'm his new best friend or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, he is one of our sponsors, so you better pony up and be his best I'll friend. I'll be his best friend, <laughs> even though today's joke this po- this podcast joke is not one of my favorites. I'll tell you that All up right. front. He called me. He said, "Hey, I'm you know, how's it sound? I'm calling you on my landline." I said, <laughs> You're calling me on your landline. <laughs> Who has a landline? Um, here's the joke. Terrell's joke. Where do fish sleep? I don't know. In their water beds. <laughs> All right, that one's pretty good. <laughs> Oh you know, I often gosh. think we're on the same. I think we're gelling here as That's, podcast hosts, yeah. and then you like the jokes that I think are terrible. Oh, yeah, you know what? As long as as long as those guys at Marine Warehouse keep writing checks, I'll keep laughing at jokes. Yeah, and by the way, a lot going on there. Yeah, let me plug sales, service, parts. A lot going on at Marine Warehouse yeah. Center this time of year, as you can imagine. And they are helping out, man. They are getting everyone on the water. They can get you on the water, whatever that means to you. Service, sales, parts. It's good, man. Get on the water to catch more fish. You want to see a fish picture? I'd love to see a fish right. photo. Here we go. We have Stacy Wester and Josie Matthews of Wilmington with a sailfish caught and released using a blue water candy, blue white, Mylar, Mylar? Am I saying that right? Mylar. Mylar skirt in 25 fathoms on the 250 line. Of the Wrightsville Beach. Looking good. Good looking fish. Man, that's a long caption. <laughs> Dude, you is. did great. Oh my God. I can't read half the words. You did great. <laughs> oh man. Um, so if people weren't willing to jump full in and buy us a boat, they what can, might be another way they could show some appreciation? They can always buy us a coffee, Gary. What do you mean, Billy? <laughs> well, they go to buymeacoffee.com slash fisherman's post. And if you really like what we do, if you if you think Gary and I are good hosts and you like this podcast, then uh, feel free to treat us with a virtual coffee. And um, for me, it's going to be a real coffee because I really, well, you drink coffee too. Yeah. You're a coffee drink. You don't drink good coffee, but you drink coffee, Dunkin' Donuts and all that. <laughs> I'm, little, I'm cheap. I make yeah. coffee at home. <laughs> Folgers? Economically, it makes do, so much more sense. <laughs> do you, you drink Folgers? <laughs> Folders in your cup. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, Billy, um, Jeremy Hicks talking offshore fishing. I'm excited. And we're going to be talking about yellowfin tuna. Oh, even better. Right? Yeah. I need you to pay attention because I'm coming at you for Billy's best takeaway at the end of this episode. I'm ready. I'm All ready. right. But right so now, excited. I'd like to introduce. I'd like to introduce our talent tonight, our guest speaker, Captain Jeremy Hicks of Calypso Sport Fishing out of Hatteras. We're talking about spring yellowfins, and he's got a lot of knowledge to share. Um, you know, Hatteras enjoyed a nice yellowfin. I think this is what he's going to tell us. Enjoyed a nice yellowfin bite last year. It's not always that way, but last year was good, and so it's fresh on the brain. They're excited about this year. And let's bring, let's welcome Captain Jeremy Hicks, Calypso Sport Fishing, to the show. Good to see you, Jeremy. Hello, Gary. 
man, talking to an old friend. This is what quite a gig. I just get talked to an old yes, friend sir. about fishing. Man, this is fantastic. Well, Absolutely. Jeremy, you are fluent in the ways of the podcast. I didn't even prep you on this, but there's always two questions to begin. The first question you can predict since you've been in that spot for, before. Why should we listen to what you have to say about a yellowfin? Well, we've been fortunate. <clears throat> Here in Hatteras, we only have to run you know, 20 to 30 miles to the Gulf Stream, so we have a lot more opportunity to fish the Gulf Stream. And the years I was mating and some of the years since I've been a captain, we, we have had you know, yellowfin in our waters. So it's been, it's been good. It's been fun. We've been very thankful for that. Um, you know, again, when I was, well, fortunately when I was mating, we, we had a lot better yellowfin success than what we've had in the last seven or eight years. But last year proved to be, you know, a game changer for us. And we're hoping that those, those yellowfins come up on this side of the Gulf Stream this year so we can have a, a charge at them too. All right. We'll write on. Well, question number two. And as is tradition is a non-fishing-related question, my attempt at some levity. Jeremy Hicks, you are one of my favorite Hicks. You might be my favorite Hicks, but you are at least one of my favorite Hicks. And I want to know, what is your favorite Hick from the Beverly Hillbillies? I'm going to give you multiple choice. Would it be Uncle Jed, Granny, Jethro, or Ellie Mae? Jethro. I mean, he's probably the classic Hick. That's... He's probably more hick than anyone else on that list. So that is a wise, that is an astute answer. I like it. All right, let's move in. Um, as is, you know, pretty much every conversation follows some form of when, where, and how. And I think our conversation will probably go that path. So when we're talking about spring elephants, let's start with a when. Like, when are we talking? Right now. Um, and, you know, I always tell people when they call me, Gary, they say, you know, when we want to target yellowfin. We want to target blackfin. We want to target bluefin. And I, I always tell them, you know, I can tell you traditionally, this is when you need to be here. Then I will tell you that fish have fins and tails. And sometimes when I tell you that traditionally they will be here, they make me look like a fool. But springtime and fall, both are good times to try to target yellowfin tunas. And are we talking about a certain water temp? And like I'm saying, are we saying the month of April into May? I mean, help me out. A, I mean, I again, and I know we're not talking that you can predict the future and we can bank on it, but historically. Historically, you know, when the green water of the inshore green ocean water meets the blue, cobalt blue Gulf Stream water, it can go from... 74 75 all the way into you know 80 81 and again sometimes they make you look like a fool 83 84 degrees when you you know you'll see these tunas um but this time of year there tends to be a significant blue green water change and it's a significant color temperature and if there's current and there's wind and they're, you know, they're fighting with, or they're not fighting each other, then sometimes it can be a significant uh, sea condition change as well. So where is it? I mean, again, and we're talking about off of Hatteras, and, and as you set me up to say in the sort of pre-show notes, 
that I think that some of these areas you're talking about aren't, you don't need a sport fisher to reach when you're fishing out of Hatteras, that this is certainly accessible if someone wants to drag the outboard out to Hatteras and launch. So give us some, uh, you know, give us some of the where that we're talking about. Well, luckily we have, you know, some free tools at our disposal. And um, if you get a, a sea surface temperature chart, you should be able to gauge the night before or the morning of where that hard change is going to be. Sometimes that hard change, that blue-green temperature change runs over structure. Sometimes it does not. But a lot of times that change is within 20 or 25 miles of Hatteras Inlet, very accessible by outboard, very accessible by sport fisher. And when you find that, that hard change, and I'm making motions with my hands. Okay. Um, when you find that hard change, it, it gathers bait. And a lot of times it is between 20, 25 and 50 fathoms, which is where our, our break is, our, you know, good bottom. And when you find that blue green change over top of that good bottom, up from, you know, below the triple zero south of us, 35 miles in the 900s, all the way up to, you know, the point, which is over 40 miles from Hatteras Inlet. When you find that good water laying over the good bottom, this time of year, you have a good chance of finding those yellow fins. So it's really about that. I mean, that rules is the, is the temperature change, is the color change. Correct. Okay. So we have, a, you know, you look at your charts, you, I mean, your surface, your surface read, and you got a plan the night before the day of. And so you've got something that you like, and we're headed out. What can I expect? What can I expect to be your move when you, when you get to somewhere you want to start? When, when we get to the water that I want to fish, um, I'm generally, if I'm tuna fishing, I'm generally going to fish on my boat, 10 lines, maybe 12. Because tuna fish school and when you when you make a pass over that school you know they might not be right where you think they are you might have to travel you might have to work an area or or travel the good bottom for i don't know two three four five seven hours before you get the bites and and when you find that school and if they're hungry and they bite if you have 12 lines out which i'm fortunate i can do a lot of times you'll hook 12 fish. Can you catch 12 fish? Yes. A lot of times you end up catching, you know, eight, nine, 10 at one time because the tunas are not like mahi, you know, they don't jump around. They don't, they don't twirl the lines together. You know, they, they typically come up one at a time, single file fashion, get him up there, gaff him, put him in the box. So I, I tend to think that if I'm targeting yellow fins, I want to, I want to have as many lines in the water as possible that I can fish without tangling or, you know, making a mess of it. Are you ever dragging? I mean, 12 is, seems impressive, outstanding number to me. Is there ever a scenario where you're dragging more than 12 or is 12 the max? Well, 12 not the max, Gary, but 12 is, is between myself and my mate where I feel comfortable that we can fish without tangling baits, tangling lines, 
you know, if, if there's grass around, I mean, there's a lot of factors. If, you know, if there's scattered grass, it's going to be hard to fish all those lines because it's going to be hard to keep the baits clear. You want to keep grass off your baits. You want them swimming pretty. And if there's grass, it's going to be hard to do. Um, so every time I get to where I want to fish, the scenario is different. Scattered grass, lightly scattered grass. Um, you know, are there a bunch of albacores? which, you know, a lot of times if we see the false albacores, we like that because we know that, that there's a chance that the tunas might be under them or somewhere near them. Then there's times that we don't like false albacore because we catch eight at a time and, you know, they're not very good table fare. They tend to make better, you know, dolphin bait sometimes. But, you know, every time we pull up to the Gulf Stream, every time we get to where we want to fish, it's a different scenario. So if this podcast is to help someone who might drag an outboard up, and I'm just going to imagine that the general audience here, whether they're listening or watching, isn't thinking, yeah, that sounds like fun. I want to drag 12 lines. If, if we're going to lower that number down to you know, a, a more general audience of capability, I don't know. What do we pick? The number eight? Why don't, would you help us out? If, you, if I were to say, Jeremy, you get to put out eight lines Tell me how that setup's going to look. What's your, what's the Jeremy eight line spread look like when you're targeting yellowfins? So I would have starting with the stern of the boat. I would, and I'm going to, I'm going to preface this to say that a lot of times we have, we have a, a theory that a planer scares tunas. So on a typical day when I'm fishing, I have a planer rod has an inline planer that is down with a piece of tin wire and usually something pink, crystalline pink. Um, if I'm tuna fishing, I typically don't have that planer in the water. I, I want to have, you know, two flatline baits, pretty ballyhoos, um, maybe a cedar plug on one, you know, maybe, a, I don't know, a squid chain with a green machine. I, I like to have the ugly junk closer to the boat. Um, but a lot of times I'll have like a, a you know, naked split bill ballyhoo and a pink sea witch up close. And then super shorts, which it's, it's kind of hard to fish, but I end up having three clips on each outrigger. So I can fish a super short, a short rigger and a long rigger. But if I were on outboard, I would have two flat lines, pink sea witch split bill naked ballyhoo then i would have maybe um i wish i had some some little the little squidlies that you can buy in the store they're like five inches long i'll make a chain out of those um and you know i'll have four five six in a row and then on the end of that i'll have a ballyhoo with the same color sea witch as whatever squidlies i have so if i have if i have green squidlies then I'll have a green and maybe white or green and crystal sea witch with a ballyhoo on the end of it. And I like those in my short riggers. I don't, I don't typically pull teasers for tuna because you do not want anything in the water that doesn't have a hook. Um, and you're, you're typically not targeting a fish that would come to your teaser. A yellowfin doesn't swim up behind your teaser like a marlin or a, you know, a mahi and, and sit back there for a little bit and you have the opportunity to switch them off. Yellowfins attack straight up and down. You know, they, they come up and they eat. 
So everything you have in the water, you want to hook in it. So I have those and those kind of act like a teaser. And I might have a pitch bait in my cockpit to where I, you know, if a, a billfish or a dolphin does pop up on that, that squid, that little squidly chain with the ballyhoo, you know, I can pick him off or, you know, he'll eat it and, and get hooked. And then in my longer, my long riggers, you know, I would have pretty swimming sea witches with, you know, blue and white or blue and crystal or purple and crystal or something real pretty back there on fluorocarbon, you know, swimming pretty. So that's six lines. Um, then I would fish a shotgun, which would be the furthest back, and it would be the absolute, in my opinion, prettiest bait that I would have in the water. Blue and crystal sea witch um, with a pretty swimming, you know, medium ballyhoo, just as pretty as you want back there. Um, and then forward to that, I would have a short shotgun, which would set between my short riggers and my long riggers and just kind of be in the middle. He just kind of plays a middle role in my spread. Now, sometimes when I'm, when I set out and I don't see, or I, I don't, automatically hooked fish and I'm in an area where I think they're at but they might be you know leader shy I'm going to take that shotgun bait and I'm going to send it way back um and I it doesn't scare me to put that thing half a spool back maybe even you know all my my tuna reels have 600 yards of braid and you know 400 yards of monofilament on top of them so we have a thousand yards and a lot of times if I'm, if I'm having to search Gary, if I'm having to look for those yellow fins, I'll, I'll take that shotgun and put it way back to the point where on that 50 wide, I can see the braid. Now it may not be all the way down to the braid, but I can see that braid and I've got that thing way back there. And I've also got, you know, both my shotguns are on a clip. So if, if I was on an outboard, I would want to have some type of clip to that line with about, I don't know, 15, 16 pounds of, of pressure on that release clip to where if, if something did hit it, then I would know it, you know, that clip would pop and, and I could get to it and I could crank it. And, you know, if I, if I felt like it was a billfish, you know, I could, I could crank him up or if I felt like it was a tuna, I might jig it. Um, every time, every, every situation is different. If I'm seeing tunas bull all behind my, my long riggers and my, my shotgun, you know, I might jig that shotgun if I, if I think there's a bait still there and it kind of looks like a, you know, wounded bait fish and some, you know, they'll, sometimes they'll come pile on it, but that would be my eight bait spread, um, starting every day if, if, if I were on outboard or, you know, sometimes in the spring when we have dolphins and tunas and possibly a wahoo, you know, that, that is typically my spread. I don't add the, the, you know, the 10 lines and the 12 line, the, the two and four later until I know that, you know, I'm driving over this school of tuna and they're, they're hitting everything I have. So I, ha I have a question again, I'm still very much a student of this offshore game. So you said if the fish are being leader shy, that's when you'll drop that thing back there, maybe even half a spool. So mm -hmm. is it dropping it back half a spool? Is it, to get it distance from the boat because the boat is part of the leader shy effect or is there something else that you're accomplishing by dropping it that far back? 
I have a theory, and a lot of guys that fish Gulfstream have this theory that your boat is your biggest teaser. But in tuna fishing, <clears throat> it's not necessarily. If if the fish are around and it's clear water, and there's a lot of bait, and the bait is you know easily accessible by the tunas, sometimes when you when you take that that shotgun bait and you send it way back there, and I'm I mean way back there, three four hundred yards. That can that can anticipate, or I will anticipate that that is going to get bit if there are tunas around, and it might be that it's just back there and it's kind of you know as you're trolling it's just doing its thing, it's way far away from the boat. The, another theory is that when the boat is trolling, you have a wake and you have all these baits and there's a noise. Well, the fish doesn't know that there's a boat. And they see this white water, they look up, there's this white water, there's these baits, you know, they don't know what's going on. And sometimes that entices them into a bite. But I've, we found, you know, last year in Hatteras, even up like into June, that we had tunas here and they were on structure and you would mark them and you would see them, you know, jumping, they would air it out, they would jump, they would splash, they would, you know, I mean, you knew they were there, but you could not get a bite until you took that that shotgun, that pretty shotgun bait, and you put it way back there. And you know, so, sometimes we say leader shy. I mean, if I'm if I'm targeting tunas, I got you know 80 pound fluoro, maybe 130 pound fluoro at most, and and I'll have you know a super long 30 to 40 foot liter of that fluorocarbon you know, on that pretty sea witch with that value and I'll have it way back. And sometimes you don't even get a bite then, you know, sometimes you, know, you can go to the same structure, the same wreck or, you know, wherever here, the Clark wreck, um, you know, the rock piles pretty famous, the Southeast rocks, Southeast of the tower, you know, they're, they're pretty popular to go for these tunas. And sometimes you go there and you'll, you'll mark them and you won't even get a bite. And, if we're trolling and we don't get those bites, you know, we, we tend to go to other tactics, which, you know, pop in jigging, sending that shotgun bait way back, seeing if we can, you know, uh, entice a bite. But I mean, some days they just, they don't bite, but we're going to, we're going to try everything we can to, you know, try to get a bite out of them. Well, you kind of anticipated my next question. And that was, I wasn't even sure if this was a plausible question, but like, all right, we have everything out and, you know, things are looking good. There's so many variables. That's why I meant I'm not sure if this is a sensible question. But what are some of the tactics? I mean, I don't want to call them tricks. What are some of the tactics that you might do to change it up to to try to generate a bite if you feel like you're doing everything right and it's just not happening? You got to try something different, I'm guessing, or do you just hold the line and hope it materializes? Well... You know, we're fortunate here that we have a, a pretty big fleet and we all communicate. And, you know, it might be that we know the tunas are there. We mark them. We seal them. You know, we know they're there. They're not biting. What do we do? Um, we have a couple different tactics. You know, one of the first ones that I would try would be a topwater popper. You know, cast it. If if I roll, if, if I'm trolling... And out to my right, I see the yellow fence airing it out and busting and doing their thing. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna have my mate go up to the bow and I'm gonna I'm gonna point the bow of my boat to where he can cast that topwater popper 
into where we see all those splashes, you know, and he, he's going to work it, crank a little bit, work it. And a lot of times that thing will, you know, and entice a bite. Um, if we see, if we see the fish and they're not on top, but we mark them on our bottom machine and, you know, we know they're there, they look, they're tunas, they're red blobs. We know it's tunas. Um, we can drop a, a butterfly jig down and we'll try to drop it just below the tunas or just to the bottom of the mark and then jig it back up through the mark. A lot of times if you go past the mark too far, you'll end up with uh, false albacores or amberjacks. But, you know, that that's a way to uh, that's a way to uh, entice a bite. Um, sometimes we'll end up flying a kite. And and when we do that, we, we troll these rubber flying fish with hooks in them. And, you know, the kite's out to the side and you kind of take a, a sailboat tack and keep the kite up there if you have enough wind. And the, the flying fish is skipping on top of the water. Now, that's an advanced tactic, and um, it doesn't always work for even charter boats. But uh, sometimes we crash the kite and, uh, you know, we, we get mad and all that stuff. So the topwater popper and the butterfly <laughs> jig are, you know, tend to be a little bit easier. Myself if i try to put that kite up and it's not enough wind or i crash it two or three times you know it's a 150 dollar kite and i crash it two or three times and i break a spar and i'm i'm upset then and you know the conditions have to be right for that and uh you know like i said that's an advanced tactic but um if if i were going to change tactics on the troll um maybe add you know uh, a bird and green machine combination um, like a, a boon bird, a, a trolling bird makes a lot of commotion back there. And then, you know, eight to 10 foot behind it, we'll have one of those Yankee green machines with a hook in it. Um, sometimes you get a bite on that and, and you won't get a bite on your fluorocarbon, you know, pretty swimming ballyhoos. And we, uh, I think I have five spreader bars on my boat. So sometimes we'll end up, you know, pulling a couple spreader bars too. And sometimes that will uh, entice a bite as well. So I got a couple of follow-up questions. So when you have the, when you're thinking top water might produce and you have the mate up front, you're sort of putting him in a position to cast, are you maintaining your set trolling speed the whole time or do you pull off to give him a little bit of more time to work the top water? Yeah, I will. Um, in fact, I don't mind to leave like on the bridge, I'll fish, you know, the short shotgun, the long shotgun and two long riggers. And I don't mind to leave those out. But a lot of times I'll have him clear his stuff, the flat lines and the short riggers. I'll have him clear those up because, you know, we're, we're casting that topwater popper with heavier braid, a heavier, you know, casting uh, rod and a spinner that can that can handle it. And a lot of times, you know, you put a lot of drag on that and you can get, you know, a 30 pound yellowfin. You can get him to the boat pretty quick. But what you don't want is you don't want the mate up front trying to cast and hook a fish and then all his four or five, six lines he has in the back, you don't want them back there dangling him to hook a fish, have to walk all the way back to the stern and then the angler fight the fish with all his lines and then expect him to try to clear everything. So we, we kind of clear, you know, we'll clear all that and I'll leave my stuff way back and then, you know, we'll be able to have room to, to fight the fish and, you know, in the cockpit. 
Well, that relates exactly to my next question. If you decide to go up for the jig, I was going to ask how many lines, if any, do you leave in the water when you decide I want to drop something down? Same thing. Um, sometimes we'll just clear the fight lines just to drop a jig and, you know, just to prospect. And, and if we have a mark and, you know, I'll pull up and I see the mark and I generally try to circle back around and find the mark again. Because nine times out of ten, if you pull up on a mark and you've got eight, ten, twelve, you know, trolling lines out, you're not going to be able to stop on the mark, get everything in, and then effectively drop your jig. It, it, it's just not going to happen. The fish swim, they move. So what I would do is if I went over a mark and I wanted to, you know, drop a butterfly jig, I would, I would put the boat in a, a big circle and I would have him crank everything that he has, the short stuff, the flat lines and the short riggers have him crank those in probably leave my long stuff and and i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you why after i get let's let's talk about dropping this jig so i, I bring in the short stuff we circle back around i find the mark i put the boat in neutral i might you know hit the brakes put it in reverse to stop the boat and then i'll tell him <clears throat> because we have metered braid we have you know our braid changes colors every what 10 meters which is 33 feet i believe so if they're you know 60 feet down i'll say okay 60 feet or 20 meters and he'll drop it just below that and then jig the butterfly up through the water column try to get a bite the reason that i leave my long stuff out and i like to do this and and this comes true also when we're fighting fish that have been you know flat line or short rigger bites you're fighting a fish your long riggers are still out. Your shotgun's still out. You're going, you know, I slow down while we're fighting the fish and then uh, using the trolling valve and I kind of start creeping forward. Well, a lot of times, even after we catch the fish, Gary, fish gets gaffed, it's put in the boat. I put the boat back into, you know, trolling gear back at, you know, 650 RPMs, which is, you know, 6.7 knots on my boat. Put it back in gear. Those long riggers have sunk down in the water. And when he put it in gear, they start to come up. And there's fish that were looking at them like, hey, man, you know, what's going on? When they when those things start to pick up speed and come back to the top, to the top of the water column, a lot of times we get a bite. And we call it a drifter bite. Or, you know, I put her back in gear and I got a bite. Um, and, and that happens tuna fishing as well. So I know that's a lot. You know, there was a lot there with uh, butterfly jigs and, and drifter bites and everything. But it when it happens, it kind of, it kind of comes full circle and you see it and you're like, Oh man, you know, I'm sitting, I'm laying there dead in the water and I'm fighting a fish. And then all of a sudden I have a long bait come down. Well, that's my drifter bite, put the boat in gear. And then I have another long bait come down or my shotgun comes down and they're tight. Now I've got three fish on and then I'm, I'm back to, you know, a slower, slower speed while we're fighting this fish. Um, it, it's really cool to see it happen. <laughs> Um, and then I had one other question about the troll. Um, so are you putting all your effort on the prettier side of the color change or is it a parallel troll? Is it ever crossing? Is it ever the other side? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and every time you get to that color change, Gary, it's, it's a different ball game. Just like we said before, you know, sometimes you get on the, the, the pretty blue water side and, you know, you might mark fish or you might see the fish, you know, splashing and jumping in the green water. You don't know. 
you don't know if the bait that they're chasing is over there in that colder green water. And it, it very well might be, or it might be in the blue water where you're at. Who knows? Every time you go there, it is a different story. Now, could you go there, you know, 12 times and, and 10 times the tunas be on the, the blue water side? Absolutely. But tunas can be in the green water side as well. Okay. So I guess my question now might be a little bit of guidance for, man, we have followed what Jeremy has suggested and it's worked and we've got a multiple hookup, you know, so how do you, how does you, or I will say the mate, how do they coach, you know, that pit? How, what do you do? What do the anglers do to get most fish in the boat when we've got multiple fish on? So Gary, it makes sense to, you know, the, the lines that were the closest to the boat, unless they are, you know, a lot bigger fish, they're probably going to get to the gaff first. So we're, you know, if, so let's say we're trolling six lines and we have two flat lines, two short riggers, two long riggers. If those flat lines go off first, then my short riggers, then my long riggers, I have six tunas on, you know, and they're, the rods are bent, they're pulling string. We, we know they're tunas. We, we've seen them airing it out. Typically, the ones that are closest to the boat are going to come to the gaff first. And like I said earlier, you know, they're not like the mahi. They don't they don't jump around and, and braid the line together and crisscross and, you know, tangle everything they can. Tunas typically stay down. Um, every now and then, if they're foul hooked in their back or something, they might get on top of the water. But typically, the tunas stay down and they want to dig down. And as they're getting closer to the boat, if I was the mate, I would, I would try to target, you know, easing that lineup with my fingertips, just one finger and a thumb, you know, applying very little pressure. When the fish gets up, you want a tuna's head to be up out of the water. You want it to be up here because that is their, that is their diving source. And, and what I mean by that is if that tuna's head gets down and it can get in the water, it's going to, it's going to dig and try to get deep. You know, not like a dolphin, a mahi or dolphin, you want to have its head in the water because if its head's out of the water, it's jumping around and, you know, it might come off the hook. But a tuna, you want its head out of the water because that that is the guidance system for that tuna. You want that out of the water. And when his head is out of the water, you know you can place that gaff right behind his eyeballs and you've got that fish. So I'm, I'm fighting the fish that are closest to the boat first. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my lines that are hooked and a lot of times you if you think that a line is tangled you can take the rod tips i got all grip i was painting some stuff for the boat earlier but you can take you know the rod tips and put them together and you can see if the lines are going to cross each other and you need to you know with tunas you need to get that untangled as soon as possible because if if he takes a blister and run if one takes a run and one's stationary or you're fighting him and that line is across the other one it's going to burn off you're going to lose that fish and, uh, you know, you just, nine times out of 10, they're nice and easy. They take their time. They come right up to the boat one at a time, gaff them, put them in the box, de-hook them. If you have time and you're, you know, a skilled rigger, rig another ballyhoo, have it ready to fire out. Um, it's, it's really some of my favorite fishing because it's the easiest for the mate. You know, they come right up there. They lay up on their side. You gaff them. They're, they're done. And then for you as captain or whoever might be driving the boat, 
you're pulling back from trolling speed, but you're keeping it engaged and moving forward at least a little bit slow. And are you trying to, to guide the boats that everything's happening immediately off the back or do you like it a little bit off to the side? Well, and you know, again, it's different situations. If, if I have more bites to my left-hand side, if I, if I turn around from my helm chair and I look at the back, I'm looking out the stern of the boat and I've got seven or eight that are over here to my left. I'll tend to turn the boat to the right, which if you're looking out the back, it's to the left, but I'll turn the boat and kind of keep those fish to the inside. And reason being is my mate can, as one, as a fish comes up and he gaffs it, puts it in the box, he can re-rig and he can put a bait back out on the right-hand side, looking, looking to the stern. He can put it out to the right hand side and we keep the fish on the inside of a circle we call it and we just we just circle around to the right the fish are down here everybody's fish is coming up one at a time it, it it tends to well nine times out of ten it tends to work really nice but you know there there are times where you know the fish don't want to cooperate and you know they scatter all around and um, you can't keep them to the inside of a circle but um you know, one of the best days of yellowfin tuna fishing I've ever seen as a mate was in the fall of, I think it was the fall of 2008, maybe nine. We ran 40 miles, Gary. We ran up to the 400 to the east, and uh, we started fishing at 8 o'clock, and at, at 10 o'clock, we were on our way home with 24 yellowfins, and, and that's how it was. You know, they were just biting, and my captain would keep the boat in a circle, keep the fish to the inside of the circle, Fish would come up, I'd gaff him, put him in the box, rig him real quick, rig a ballyhoo back on it, run it up my outside outrigger, let it back. As soon as that thing got, you know, back to long rigger distance, he's getting bite. And uh, we, we had a really good day. And that, that was awesome. You know, 800 pounds of yellowfin. I mean, it was it was great. But it's uh, it, it's kind of hard to, you know, get that, get that down pat, keeping those fish to the inside of your circle. But sometimes if I have like a single bite, I'll just leave the fish, you know, let him come right at the middle. But if I have more than one on, I'm going to try to identify where the fish are behind the boat and try to keep those fish inside and turn, you know, turn with them. Um, I follow. Hey, so I like how you set it up, like realistic expectations, but I want, I want, I'm imagining people are going to see this and they're going to be motivated to try the Hatteras experience, you know, maybe even give you a call. So if someone were to call you and say, Hey man, coming out like April or May, you know, to take a shot at a yellowfin, of course, you know, we can only talk about historical behavior. We can't, you can't predict Mm -hmm. it. So to help, to help me get excited, you can say, well, if you come out in April and May, we'll go yellowfin fishing. But if the yellowfins aren't there, then we're most likely to catch. Mahi, possibly a wahoo. Um, I just heard word that um, the 100-pound bluefins were, you know, in our waters today, the guys that were able to make it out. So, you know, you never know what's going to bite next. And that's a beautiful thing about hatters. It, it could be a, a, a dolphin fish, a mahi, it could be a wahoo, it could be, you know, 150 pound bluefin, 100 pound bluefin, it could be a king mackerel, um, it could be a 100 pound yellowfin, it, it might be the 30 pound blackfins, who knows. Our, our waters are very abundant with bait and we are very fortunate that we don't have to travel far to get to them. Um, but this is, 
you know, starting now until, you know, the middle of June, this, this is our really busy season. I mean, this people come to Hatteras because they want to catch, you know, a variety of fish and, and the chances are you're going to do that when you fish out of Hatteras in the springtime. All right. And then the other question is for the guy, for the person's like, man, this spring just isn't going to work for me, but I like the idea of visiting this guy in the fall for a shot at a yellowfin. And you would say to look at what part of the calendar, if you wanted to imagine you have a good shot at a yellowfin in the fall. I would say, you know, October, November, leading the two weeks leading up to the full moon, somewhere right in there. Um, it, it seems like the fish tend to feed stronger leading up to the full moon. And the closer to the full moon you get, the better it is. And then once that full moon happens, then it, you know, just kind of falls off. Now, they can make me look like a, a butthole and prove me wrong, but that tends to be the traditional history. Okay. So I think we're at the end, but I never leave without saying, Jeremy, anything I didn't set you up to say about yellowfin fishing, anything else that comes to mind to close this spring yellowfin out of Hatteras chapter? Um, you know, not really, Gary. I mean, you, you can catch those fish from an outboard. You can catch them from a sport fisher. Um, we're, we're, again, like I said earlier, we're very fortunate to have the opportunity to fish a lot of days close to the Gulf Stream like we do. And, you know, we don't have to run far and we gain that knowledge over the years. So I have a lot of guys and I'll say this, and some of them probably watch this because I met them at, you know, Fisherman's Post fishing schools and they, they still fish with me. But a lot of guys have outboards and they still come with me once a year just to see, just to do, just to get their hands on just to see how we do it, you know, to target yellowfins, to target mahi, to target wahoo, you know, the different pelagic species that we have. So, you know, I'd come on aboard. If not, you know, we're always around. I'm at the dock. I mean, people call me, you know, I, there's no secrets in all this. I, we don't mind giving information. We don't mind saying, hey, you know, I fished a rock pile today and I caught this, or I fished a 300 line and, you know, I caught this and, you know, if, if you feel like you're you're the guy who wants to go do this on you know your outboard but you need that extra oomph come fishing with me i'll show you everything we do like i said there's no secrets um you know but don't be scared to try to go catch a elephant man i love it i think it's sage advice i often make that pitch as you've heard at the fishing schools and say man if mm -hmm. you're making the investment in the boat if you're making the investment in a school it's really not a far jump at all just to spend the money to spend a day, half day on the water with inshore, offshore, nearshore guys. Man, Absolutely. I think that's a great way to close it, Jeremy. Man, always enjoy talking to you. Always enjoy catching up with you, man. Always. And looking forward to seeing you later in the year for our annual. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you. You too, Jeremy. Thanks, man. Gary, what a show, man. What a show. That was good. I yeah. mean, that's that's totally like out of my element completely, but I'm like... Dude, it was awesome. A lot of good information. And it really is impressive like to be on Jeremy's boat. And, you know, I've seen this on a couple of boats, but I can certainly speak about Jeremy's boat. You know, you pull out there and the mate is prepping all the whole way out. And then as soon as you get to the water, it's like, boom, somehow that mate, like instantly, yeah. it's not instantly, but it seems, has so many lines in the water. Like it just happens yeah. so quick. And you're like, man, it's crazy. Impressive. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty impressive. And I tell you, the, a couple things that were that kind of got my attention was one that kite with the flying fish. Never seen that before. Never even heard about it. So that gives me something to go research. And then also the the assembly line circle is <laughs> what I was thinking. I'm like, dude, this guy's got an assembly line. Like that's what he's talking yeah. about. Just putting, you know. I mean, he told the story about putting I don't know how many hundreds of pounds of yellowfin in the box. But I'm like. That's a trip I want to go Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, hey, honey, I know you said I couldn't go on that one trip next week. Can I go on this one? <laughs> Good <Hatteras>? luck. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Let me know how that goes. All right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's work, honey. I promise. I have a fishing podcast. I got to go. That hasn't worked. I own a fishing <laughs> newspaper. That doesn't work. <laughs> honey, I own a fishing newspaper. Do you have to go? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad neither one of our wives listen or watch this podcast. Right. We're good. Oh, man. Um, speaking to people listening and watching, make sure you go support our sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center, Academy Sports, and Marine Warehouse. It's going to get you rigged up. If you get that outboard that you want to take up to, to the Outer Banks, to Hatteras area, make sure they take a look at it for you. Make sure everything's working. Yeah, right. man. Please visit Marine Warehouse Center. As we say... They want to be a part of the fishing and boating community. You know, they will go the way to, you know, to be an ally for you, you know, as you mature as a boater, as you mature as a fisherman. Yeah. And go get Terrell to tell you some jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and then you call me. Yeah. I need a go-between. Yeah. <laughs> I need a mediator for the joke. Oh, man. Well, Gary, great episode, man. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Next time. Fisherman's-